You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Today on the Useless Information Retrocast, you'll hear stories about a man who believed that his wife was snoring in Morse code, believe it or not. And then you'll learn about a teacher who told a student not to come back until he brought in his school book. And that's exactly what the kid did. He simply didn't come back and he ran away from home. Or how about a man who had his car stolen, decided to hitchhike back home, and then he was picked up by someone driving his very own stolen car. I mean, what are the chances? Well, all those stories, plus the question of the day, today's retro sponsor, and so much more, it's all coming up next on today's Useless Information Retrocast. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless Information. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I have to tell you, I've got a great selection of stories for you today, so let's dive right in. Here's the first one. You know, it must have been a slow news day on January 14th of 1915. And that's because the Indianapolis Star ran a lengthy story on an incident that had occurred just a few days prior. Now, it's the type of story that normally only receive a paragraph or two in a small town newspaper, and honestly, probably no mention in a big city paper. And shortly after the story was printed, it was quickly forgotten. Well, that was until today. The location of this unusual story was the home of former juvenile court judge Newton M. Taylor, and it was located at 1015 North New Jersey Street in Indianapolis, Indiana. Well, if you find yourself in the neighborhood and you want to go visit the home, I can tell you that today a magnificent, beautiful paved parking lot occupies that former location, so don't bother. That evening, the exact day wasn't recorded, the judge's family was sitting at a table playing cards under the illumination of electric light. Now just think how rare that was for 1915. Anyway, not far from the table was a large bay window that had another small table in front of it. And on that table was a large glass bowl, and it was filled with goldfish. Now just what game they were playing, who was winning, or you know whether any gambling was taking place, that's totally irrelevant to the story. And that's because the game was about to come to an abrupt halt. And without any warning, that big bay window, it just came crashing in. The goldfish bowl, it was hurled to the ground, 
And those frightened little fish, well, they wiggled around on the carpet and they struggled to stay alive. And there, right in the middle of the card table, stood the cause of this entire mess. It was a scared, hungry stray cat, and he had jumped through the window in an attempt to get its next meal. You know, the goldfish. Then, suddenly, the cat climbed up Mrs. Taylor's lace curtains to the very, very top of that broken window. And sensing that it was an unwelcome visitor and realizing that the top of the curtains, it really offered no advantage, the cat quickly made its escape through a hole in that broken window. The article concludes, and it's clear the reporter's having a bit of fun here, quote, No one at the Taylor home has any special antipathy toward cats, but if they must make such visits, members of the family prefer them to call at the rear door, as do the milkman and the grocery solicitor and other nice persons. When 34-year-old Lila B. Hughes married 48-year-old John Lloyd Booth Copley on January 24th of 1928, we can presume it was a loving union between two divorcees. But unfortunately, love doesn't always last. You see, on September 14th of 1934, Lila filed for divorce from Lloyd in a Spokane, Washington court on grounds of non-support. In addition to withholding her paychecks from her, she claimed that he, quote, would fly into a rage and call her vile and indecent names. Well, the case was assigned to Judge Charles H. Levy, and he listened to testimony from both sides on November 20th of that year. Now, Lloyd's biggest complaint was that his wife snored loudly, to which his wife, a telegraph operator, responded, quote, I know I snore, but when I was sleeping, my husband thought I was snoring in Morse code to signal someone outside. Lila added, Then he pounced on me with all fours, blackened my eyes, and otherwise beat me. And here's my favorite part. Lloyd, who was insanely jealous at times, he was certain that she was attempting to signal a lover with her encoded snoring. Then, on another occasion, she locked her husband out of the house. So he proceeded to climb in through an upstairs window, and of course, that frightened Mrs. Copley. So she picked up a 2 by 2 inch or 5 by 5 centimeter piece of lumber, and she just started whacking him with it. And she didn't let up. Mr. Copley's injuries were so severe that it required emergency treatment at the local hospital. And of course, the blood-stained timber that was introduced as evidence during the hearing. This is perhaps the toughest case that Judge Levy ever had to decide. He could see that this is a couple that was meant to stay together forever. They clearly love one another. And he would probably need weeks, if not months, to decide such a challenging case. Okay, not really. In fact, he issued his opinion that same day, and he granted the divorce. Mr. Copley, he was allowed to keep their house on North Post Street, and his wife was to get their home on Cleveland, plus an additional $300, which is about $6,700 today. Shortly before the United States was dragged into World War II with the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor, the country was already supplying armed ships, airplanes, you know, and other needed materials to the Allies. And down in Beaumont, Texas, the Pennsylvania shipyards there, they had not built a single ocean-going cargo vessel since the previous World War. So as they ramped up production, the first ship that they completed was the 7,400-ton or 6,700-metric-ton Cape Lookout. That was the name of the ship, the Cape Lookout. But when it came time to launch the ship, there was a bit of a problem. 
and that is they needed to slide the ship at a dry dock, and of course to do so you need some sort of lubricant. But there was a shortage of the traditional launching grease, so a substitute was sought out. Hmm, just what could they use? You know, they needed something that was known to be slippery, yet was not needed for the war effort. Do you have any ideas? Well, we've all seen the classic movie son of someone walking down the street and they slip on, you know what, a banana peel. And that's exactly what they decided to use. A lot of well-ripened bananas. And then the big launch day came. At 11.20 a.m. on January 25th of 1941, everyone gathered as Miss Audrey Louise Jones, a student at the University of Texas. She christened the ship and it was released. And with the aid of 3.5 tons or 3.2 metric tons of bananas, the ship easily glided down into the Natchez River, creating a mighty wave as it hit the water. Well, the Cape Lookout was soon renamed the USS Fomalout, and it would go on to earn five battle stars for its service in World War II. And like so many other ships, once the war ended, they were no longer needed, and they were taken out of service. The Fomalout was decommissioned on June 25th of 1946, and it was sold for scrap on April 15th of 1970. If you've ever painted a large surface, you know, like a wall or a ceiling, you've probably used a paint roller. And it's a tool that's become ubiquitous in the world of painting, you know, but every tool had to start somewhere. So I have a question for you. In what year was the paint roller invented? Now I'll give you a full credit on this exam if you can get within five years of the actual date. I'll give you a half credit if you get within 10 years. Let's see how you do. Anyway, just hang around for a bit, and I'll let you know the answer to this question at the end of this podcast. You're right. It's white. It's that new Oxidol white. Now your clothes wash whiter than ever before with Procter & Gamble's amazing new white Oxidol, the whiter, whiter soap for a whiter, whiter wash, the whitest wash in Oxidol history. Yes, today you'll see a wonderful new whiteness in everything you wash. You'll see sheets and shirts and napkins wash a brilliant snowy white. So white, you're bound to say... You're right. It's white. It's that new Oxidol white. You're right. With new white Oxidol, it gives you the cleanest wash it's possible to get with any soap in the world. The whitest Oxidol wash you've ever had. Now you can wash your clothes any day, dry them anywhere, even inside. And as long as you use new white Oxidol, your clothes will keep this wonderful new whiteness throughout their life. And when you see the sparkle it gives to washable colors... You'll know that new Oxidol is truly safe. Your cotton prints, children's dresses, and play suits actually come out brighter. Just one look at the brilliant white wash you get with new white Oxidol, the beautifully bright wash, and you'll never be satisfied to use any other wash day soap again. Your dealer has new white Oxidol now, so get some. The next wash day, be right. Get clothes white with new white Oxidol, the greatest Oxidol Procter & Gamble ever offered, the whiter, whiter soap. For a whiter, whiter wash. That commercial for Oxidol's from the October 3rd, 1949 broadcast of the radio program Ma Perkins. This particular episode was titled Sinclair Drops By. The show launched on August 14th of 1933 on Cincinnati, Ohio's WLW before being picked up by NBC's Red Network on Monday, December 4th of 1933. The show's complete title was Oxidol's Own Ma Perkins, 
And since it was a popular daytime serial sponsored by a Procter & Gamble soap product, the show is considered to be the very first soap opera ever broadcast. Ma Perkins would continue on NBC until 1949, and then it switched to CBS, and it would remain there until its final broadcast in 1960. That 7,065 episodes spread over 27 years. Wow. But what I find most amazing about the show is that the woman who played Ma Perkins, she never changed. Virginia Payne, she was 19 years old when she started in the role, and she never, ever missed a single performance during the show's entire run. As for Oxidol, the earliest advertisements I could find for the product are from 1920. Now, it was originally manufactured by the William Walkey Company in St. Louis, and they also produced lava soap, which is still around. You need to realize in the days before anyone owned washing machines, you know, clothes were washed by hand, and people used bar, flaked, or granulated soap. So Oxidol was formulated so it washed your clothes faster. That meant less scrubbing, and at the same time, it got them much whiter. In fact, Oxidol proved to be so successful that it caught the attention of soap maker Procter & Gamble, and they purchased Oxidol along with Lava Soap in 1927 for $6.7 million. That's over $116 million today. But it was the introduction of Tide, you know, a synthetic laundry detergent that brought an end to Oxidol's dominance in the market. Now, detergents had many advantages, but the most noticeable one to the consumer was its ability to work effectively in hard water, and that was something that soap couldn't do. So instead of discontinuing Oxidol, the chemist at Procter & Gamble reformulated it as a detergent with oxygen bleach in it. Now, I'm not a chemist, but my hunch is that Oxidol's whitening property came from sodium percarbonate, which just happens to be the active ingredient in the popular OxyClean. My understanding is that sodium percarbonate, when you mix it with water, it releases hydrogen peroxide and washing soda. And of course, that both whitens and brightens your clothes without bleaching them. Well, Procter & Gamble sold the Oxidol brand to Redox Brands in 2000, who, in turn, sold it to Fab & Kine, they're the makers of Fab Detergent, in 2019. And while Oxidol is currently listed on the Fab & Kine website, the link to the product page is broken, so I suspect they're no longer selling it here in the United States. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now we're up to a segment that I've titled Footnotes to History. And uh, these are just short little tidbits I've come across that require no further research. So I'm just going to read them word for word. And our first footnote appeared on page three of the June 22nd, 1938 edition of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The headline reads, Fishing Trip Accidents Send Family to Hospital. And there's a subheadline: Kansas City Man and Wife Injured in Fall into Lake, Son Gets Bullet Wound by the Associated Press. Kansas City, Missouri, June 28th. The Maurer family returned home from a fishing trip last night and went straight to a hospital. 
Harry M. Maurer had sprained his right hand when he slipped on the dock and fell head first into Mirror Lake near Parkville. Mrs. Maurer also fell into the lake, fracturing her right hand. And if that wasn't bad enough, listen to the rest. Harold Maurer, 13 years old, dropped a 22 caliber target pistol on a rock near the fishing dock, and the bullet went through his right arm. Their injuries treated, the Maurers left the hospital for home. Boy, I hope none of them were right-handed. Now, as a retired teacher, this next article caught my attention. The headline reads, Fine boy who took teacher's orders. Don't come back. He didn't. Minneapolis, United Press. Nine-year-old Philip Cook, who ran away from home because he couldn't find a school book, was found safe late yesterday in a public library. He readily admitted his identity to police who had been scouring the city for the child since he was reported missing late Thursday. Phillips said he, quote, knew everyone was looking for me, but that he stayed away from home because he feared his father would punish him for losing the book. The father, Floyd Cook, said it was just a, quote, silly notion. When Philip failed to return home Thursday, Cook learned that a teacher at the parochial school where the boy attends fourth grade told Philip, quote, don't you come back until you bring your book. The boy told officers he spent two nights in the closet of an apartment building almost directly across the street from his own North Minneapolis home. Quote, I stayed there because it was warm. No one noticed me. Saturday, he told police he went downtown to the restaurant where his mother works as a waitress. Quote, I waited for her to come out, but she didn't come, so I went to the library to keep warm. The weather, mild for the last 48 hours, began turning colder Saturday. The temperature was in the high 20s. A policeman found Philip in the library on his routine rounds. He took the boy to headquarters where the family was united. Both parents embraced Philip warmly and Mrs. Cook cried, quote, Don't you ever do that again, honey, she said. Now, this reminds me of the school that I worked at for 30 years. Uh, they had this policy many years ago that if you didn't turn in all your books, you couldn't walk on stage at graduation. And honestly, I don't think they ever denied any kid the right, but the threat was there because they knew once the kid graduated, and if he didn't turn the books in, they'd never see those books again. Now, this next one caught my eye simply because tomorrow I'm scheduled to get some surgery on my mouth. Uh, basically had a cracked tooth, they had to remove it, and they're putting an implant in. I've had one before, so it's not, I'm not too worried about it. But listen to this story. This story was printed on May 3rd of 1950, and the headline reads, Loses Tooth Keeps Bounce, Patient Uninjured in 3-4 Leaps. Norwood, Connecticut, Associated Press. A dental patient who had just undergone an extraction jumped from a third-floor dentist's office, landed on a first-floor roof, and promptly jumped again to the street. Uninjured, 52-year-old James Wheatley was overtaken on the street by patrolman Jim Moriarty, whose attention had been attracted by Dr. Malcolm H. Golden. Moriarty brought Wheatley back to Dr. Golden's office, where he was put to rest again on the couch from which he had been recovering from the effects of an extraction under anesthetic. Now, I'm telling you, this can't happen to me tomorrow. Why? Because the dentist's office is on the first floor. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may recall back on July 5th of 2018, I did a story on Mila Minute Murphy. 
And in that episode, the question of the day was, what was the most successful song on Billboard's Hot 100 chart? And the answer was Chubby Checker's The Twist. And this story is related to that. It's from January 10th, 1962. The headline says, quote, potential injury source, over 40 don't twist, says AMA. Beacon Journal dash Chicago Daily News Wire. Chicago. The 180,000-member American Medical Association has come out against the twist, especially for dancers over 40, and that's me. An AMA spokesman ranked the twist alongside the hula hoop as a potential source of dislocated joints, slip discs, sacroiliac damage, or muscle sprains. Quote, If you have to dance a twist, take it easy, cautioned Dr. John Yeomans, AMA Director of Scientific Activities. Do a relaxed, modified twist, and you probably can get by with nothing more serious than a pulled muscle, added Dr. Yeomans, former dean of Vanderbilt University's medical school. Issuing a statement Tuesday at AMA's headquarters here, Yeomans said a young person in good shape can twist without much chance of injury. But persons past 40 with poor muscle tone should use caution, he added. I'll keep that in mind the next time I'm doing the twist. And the last tidbit I have for you today is actually my favorite of the bunch. This appeared on June 3rd of 1975 in the Alabama Journal on page 15. It's titled, His Automobile Has a Homing Instinct. Huntsville, Alabama, Associated Press. A man whose car was stolen was hitchhiking home. And the first car to stop to pick him up was, you guessed it, his own. Police reports said the 1965 auto belonging to Douglas Mack Gibson of Huntsville was taken from the parking lot of a private club early Sunday. Gibson and a friend called officers who investigated the theft. A few minutes later, Gibson and his companion were walking toward his home and decided to hitchhike. His own car stopped for him. Police said it was driven by James Adams of Huntsville, who has been charged with auto theft and escape. The latter charge came when, an officer said, Adams tried to flee after police arrived. Gibson and the friend had gotten Adams to pull off the road and detained him until officers arrived. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. So early in the podcast, I had asked you when the paint roller was invented. Did you have any idea? Well, the answer is... 1938. It was an invention that was born out of necessity. You see, prior to its creation, painting would leave all sorts of streaks, brush marks, and drips on the wall. You know, modern paints don't do that as badly. But anyway, the simple solution to this was to stipple the surface. You know, you take a special brush, you apply lots of tiny, you know, dimples of paint, and the resulting texture would not only hide all the imperfections, but it was somewhat pleasing to the eye. But the big problem with this is that it's both time-consuming and very labor-intensive. So New York City paint contractor Morris Welt was determined to find a better way. And he came up with an idea to take a paint-soaked carpet and put it on a roller, and then, of course, you could just roll it over the surface. 
Morris assigned his 17-year-old son David the job of working out the mechanicals of his paint roller concept, and David later described his first prototype, quote, It was so heavy it could hardly lift it. It was made in a blacksmith shop of iron, steel, and brass tube. After a lot of experimenting, and in spite of our lack of facilities, a workable roller was born. It was Dad Morris who had purchased the carpet pieces, and it was young David's job to cut them up and attach them to the rollers. And this was all originally done in a small bedroom inside of their apartment. Unfortunately, World War II brought a halt to sales, but the business somehow survived and it grew exponentially afterward. They decided to name the company Arsco, and that was short for the American Roller Stipple Company. And over the years, Arsco would improve on both the fabric and the roller cores, and they'd end up supplying some of the largest paint companies like Sherwin-Williams and Glidden with their rollers. Sadly, the company ceased manufacturing rollers in 2017. And I promise you that's the last wish for today. I should tell you I'm currently working on a full-length story that I think you're really, really going to like. It involves a woman who was a guest on the show I've Got a Secret way back in 1960, and boy, does she have a great secret to share. Some people online have claimed that she's deceased, but I was able to track her down, and I can confirm that she's very much alive and doing well. And I'm scheduled to record that with her next week, so I hope to get it edited down and uploaded shortly after that. Just a reminder that my latest book, that's The Flipside History, is still on sale through the end of January on my publisher's website. That's the only place it's on sale right now. It's mango.bz, mango.biz, because Mango is the publisher. Now, I should mention that they have every single book on their website currently at 30% off the list price. So you can get my book and something else. They have a great selection to choose from. As for my book, it's just packed with true stories, just like the ones you always hear on this podcast. So if you're a fan of the stories I tell, I think you're really going to like the book. As always, be sure to like this podcast on Facebook. You can just do a quick search for the useless information podcast there, and I think a match should pop up. My Twitter handle is at uselessinfocast, so be sure to sign up there, and you'll be among the first to know when a new podcast is released. Now, for some crazy reason you want to contact me, you know, it could be related to this episode, the podcast, you just want to say hello or whatever, just email me at steve at uselessinformation.org. You can use the contact form on my website, uselessinformation.org, or you can use Messenger on Facebook. Lastly, just a quick reminder that this podcast is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, and I'm very happy to be there. And they offer a great selection of the best podcasts in the categories of history, science, wellness, education, and the arts. So simply go to airwavemedia.com and just check out everything that they have to offer. Anyway, I'll be back shortly with that story of the woman who was on I've Got a Secret, which I believe will be one of the more unusual things that I've ever done on this podcast. Well, as always, thanks for listening and take care, everyone. Bye. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.